WB just celebrated their 100th anniversary, Happy Centennial, to the studio that brought us Looney Tunes. So obviously we're going to talk about that, but more importantly, we have a trailer for a brand new Looney Tunes direct-to-digital movie. So we're going to try to find Dad more burgers. Here we go in three, two, one. Are you ready, eager young space cadets? Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth shattering kaboom. Find dad more burgers. Find dad more burgers. So we're back. It's been a minute since we've had a show and now it's April. Um, I am so sorry about that, but now we're doing video stuff and I have this really cool poster behind me. This was actually going to be the 2020 Comic-Con bag at San Diego Comic-Con and it was approved and everything. And then Comic-Con was canceled. So the Looney Tunes cartoons did not get their branding out there for Comic-Con, although they did have the first Looney Tunes panel at the stay-at-home Comic-Con, so that was cool. But a friend of mine uh, got me this, and I am so grateful, and now it's a backdrop for future video content. Um, Issy, you have been on the show once before. You talked about video games, and I loved your passion there, and you are also a zoologist, so you're, you're a man of many talents. Uh, is he described? So you are going to kind of guide us on this journey of what makes the animals that inspired the Looney Tunes tick, you know, like their idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies. <laughs> idiosyncrasies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. And, um, and their traits and just how Robert McKimson took you know, the the Tasmanian devil and made it into what we think of Taz, how Fritz Freeling took a pig and was like, you know, farm animals could be funny. <laughs> and just like, you know, the whole the whole gamut of things. The whole but zoo. obviously uh, we're going to get there and there's a lot of animals to talk about, some of which, you know, only because of Looney Tunes or that's the first thing that comes to mind. And that's that's why I really want to have this conversation. But uh, and I came to the professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, but first of all, Issy, how are you? Oh, I am a lot happier since it, the weather got warmer, basically. It's spring Good. here in the UK as well, so my mood is a lot more elevated. I'm just so glad that Daylight Savings is behind us, and um, yeah, my mood is generally better a lot these days, <laughs> and it's good to be back on the podcast as well. Absolutely happy to have you. The weather is better here, although it is still reaching those those lower temperatures here in Cal Southern California of the fifties. And it's really bizarre to see that in such, you know, later in the year months, uh, as we get closer to the summer, what's going to happen with global warming this time? I don't know, but last time it was kind of scary. <laughs> we got fires and flooding and stuff. Oh. So, and now we're having tornadoes. I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre. <laughs> I heard about that. That's quite worrying. Yeah. Yeah. Quite. Definitely. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here oh. to talk about 
Acme Fools. We're going to start there. So April brought not only April showers, but Acme pranks, Acme videos, where uh, we had the voice cast of Bugs Bunny Builders, Eric Bauza, Emmy-winning uh, voice actor Eric Bauza uh, and Sean Denis Perrock do their uh, their uh, impressions of and, and will do their voices rather of Bugs and Lola Bunny over these iconic clips of Casablanca. He's looking at you, kid. Uh, the Notebook. Why didn't you write me? Why? It wasn't over for me. I waited for you for seven years, and now it's too late. I wrote you 365 letters. I wrote you every day for a year. You wrote me? Yes. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. <laughs> so many classic Warner Brother movies, and it was... It was not only hysterical, I think it was a, a resounding success because while all the other sites and all the other internet goings on were reporting on fake rumors and stuff, they, you know, Warner Brothers took it upon themselves to produce this content and they came out with something like 10 or 11 videos. Like, yeah, like something that's, like that. that's a lot of content. And they just pushed it all out on one day. I was overjoyed, <laughs> to say the least, um, to see Bugs Bunny and Daffy as Batman and Robin. Two against two are better odds. <laughs> I can't promise I won't kill Harvey. A man's got to go his own way. A friend taught me that. Not just a friend. Eh, a partner. What were some of your favorites? Uh, some of the highlights for me for the, this particular prank were um, <laughs> Bugs and Daffy as Jan Chandler and Joey from Friends. Okay, buddy boy, here it is. You hide my clothes, I'm wearing everything you own. Oh my God! That is so not the opposite of taking someone's underwear. Look at me, I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> Maybe if I wasn't going commando. Yeah. Yes. And then also the Mortal Kombat skit where you have Elmer as Shang Tsung and Bugs as his victim. And Elmer's like, your soul is mine. No, Jack! That set me rolling. Some of these are just so brilliant and so creative, but probably my favorite was um it um Pennywise yes. Sylvester as Pennywise and Georgie as Tweety. That was <laughs> I think Sylvester sounds even more eerie than Pennywise, the actual voice. <laughs> I think so. One of the ones that had me cracking up was the sorting hat was Daffy and yes. Bugs was Harry Potter. Harry Potter. In, in the first Harry Potter movie, Sorcerer's Stone. And he's, you know, Bugs is like not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And then Daffy's like, not Slytherin, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was, was perfect for that. <laughs> oh, it was so good. It was so good. And anytime that you could have those lines that had a bunch of uh, uh, alliteration or or just the overpronunciation of the S, he just, you know, Eric just took oh. it to the next level. And yeah. I just thought that was great. Dulcet lisping tones of Daffy <laughs> and Eric Bowser. <laughs> that Indeed. was just brilliant. 
Absolutely. So uh, Acme Fools is this celebration of Looney Tunes in these iconic roles. I did an unboxing, which you can now watch on YouTube, of a box that has this wonderful art around it where it's the Looney Tunes as the Harry Potter characters. It's the Looney Tunes or in the world of uh, Harry Potter as mm. Scooby-Doo, the DC Universe. I mean, they're just going all out with this branding. And I'm here for it. I love it. I love seeing these characters take on these iconic roles or or put in these worlds that are so universally known. And it changes it up a bit. And also it's creating more merchandise. You're getting uh, this like wonderful like movie maniacs and McFarlane Toys did this incredible figure of Bugs as Superman that I adore. And thankfully that was in the box. I mean, I was going to buy it jealous. anyway. I'm very jealous of that figure, by the way. I'm just like, I hope there are more like that because I. Oh, want me one. too, me too. Oh, Bugs um, is the I, only one. A Superman was that just it? So or are there they, more? They've announced that they're doing, and they might already be up for pre-order. But there's Ted Lasso, and there's the Wicked Witch of the West uh, from Wizard of Oz. But there could be more coming, and I know that the WB shop just dropped a whole new line, a whole new batch of new merchandise surrounding this idea. So you have uh, new t-shirts, you have new artwork, and uh, they have statuettes of Bugs as Superman and Daffy as Batman nice. in that collection. So, you know, like there's a lot, if you, if you love these characters and you love these mashups, there's a lot out there. If you want to celebrate it, if you want a piece of that for yourself. So highly recommend checking out the wbshop.com for that. But next, let's talk about the WB100 because that kind of segues into our celebration of, and it's ongoing, but the official date was April 4th, 19, 1923. <laughs> it's 100 years. <laughs> the math is simple wow. here. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, it. it is astounding that so many stories, so many creators so many directors so many writers like so so much of our entertainment came from this one place and i i i would be a different person if it wasn't for warner brothers like i Me have too. been impacted by their their unique storytelling perspective their ability to trust in a, a creative a director who comes in with an idea and they just let them run with it. And, you know, like, there, there are so many Warner Brothers series. I mean, not just Batman and Looney Tunes, but, like, The Matrix, Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, uh, they did the legendary stuff uh, of the Monsters universe as well. But, like, the, there's, you know, the, the, there's so much uh, richness in that history. Um, Casablanca. I was watching the Maltese Falcon last night. Oh, like there, there's, there's so much goodness here, and um, and I, I, I just love their movies. Um, let's see, what are some of some of your favorite Warner Brothers IP? Warner Brothers. I, oh gosh. So, in terms of kind of this franchise, this brand, if you like, it's also had um, a huge impact on me just kind of growing up movies like the wizard of oz and the iron giant and yes you know a lot of their animated properties you know from the 90s tiny tunes animaniacs freakazoid all of that has influenced kind of my sense of humor you know the kind of things that i laugh at um and also 
the superhero flicks, um, Batman with Michael Keaton, you know, Christopher Reeves as Superman, you know, he was my very first Superman and still is God rest his soul, you know, yeah. so my introduction to the DC universe, you know, came via some of these properties. I mean, we got one to Wonder Woman many, many, many years later, which is very overdue, but better late than never. Um, that also, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, these are some huge, huge properties that have influenced me in many ways in terms of just my taste in fashion, sense of humor, um, all those sorts of things. And their place, the, the way they're cemented in pop culture as well, in that some of the lines we close from certain movies and we instantly be like, hey, I was looking at you, kid. You know, that's Casablanca. It's like all of those things. And even the way they've been parodied in different places. Um, uh, you have shows like Friends and Seinfeld, all, all of that as well, that have also kind of informed my humor. I keep bringing it back to humor. This, this is a brand that's very funny for me, yes. you know, because I, I love Disney. You know, I always have been a Disney file, but when it comes to stuff that can make me laugh, I go to Warner's. And so many of their comedies have been influential on me because of that. And a lot of people may not realize this, but it was actually Warner Brothers who uh, started the whole shift toward uh, combining audio and visual entertainment together because we had the silent era and then it was the jazz singer, which Warner Brothers produced that when audiences heard that film matched with picture, it was the first time they'd ever seen anything like that. And it, not only that, but that transitioned into the way that Carl Stalling uh, used audio to amplify the Looney Tunes. They, they really created their own uh, method to to the animation process uh, when it comes to voicing these characters, adding, you know, the the whole Wiley e. Coyote, like you hear the music, but you're also hearing sound effects. Um, mm -hmm. But but they they developed all this technology and and like it was a running gun process. But just to have that be a part of the history of this studio, I think, is indelible, and it really adds to again the richness of it. The the legacy of everything. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm so grateful for the content that we've had from this studio, mm -hmm. but like my childhood would not be the same if it wasn't for Warner brothers, if it wasn't for, you know, new line cinema, which they now yes. have under their belt. And, you know, like growing up with Jim Carrey and the mask growing up with Robin Williams and, um, and so many movies that, you know, Warner brothers oversaw and, um, and then later on, like yes. the Scorsese films, like Goodfellas and, uh, you know, all, the great. Craig Brown. Just remember Trek the names. Brown. Thank you. Craig Brown. Craig Brown. I, I, I knew it was like in there somewhere. Yeah, Brown. It was uh, on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> yeah. He, he developed this, this wonderful um, system for creating animated sound effects. And that's how you get those like, whoo, like, you know, like the, the, whenever a character falls or, you know, yeah, like all those little like whistles and, and everything. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, just, just such a rich legacy. And to have the invention of picture and sound under that, I think, is wonderful for this Absolutely. and uh, such a boon. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, you, you just reminded me of something, the music as well, of, mm -hmm. from some of the scores from some of these films, but even the, the scores from the the Warner Brothers shorts themselves. I mean, I found myself listening back again to just certain snippets of the orchestral music 
for, from certain scenes. And I don't mean just from the big classics like What's Opera Doc or, or Robin, Robin Hood Daffy or things like that. Even from a Sylvester short, I found just the, the I would hear layers and just the strings and the brass of that punctuated the movement of these two characters chasing each other on the screen. I was like, I love this placement, but I didn't have the language for it as a kid. So it's only mm. as I got older and I rewatched these cartoons again, and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, there's some skills with this orchestra. And this is a 90-piece orchestra that's used to animate a six-minute short. And I would notice that even in the films, like even in uh, the Batman movies as well, and thinking to myself, this is a fantastic score. Well, it's Danny Elfman, uh, if you're talking about the Keaton movies, and, you know, like, just... Yes, the the scores are great on their own. Like I listen to them in the car. Yeah. I listen to them like if I'm working out. Like it's just a wonderful thing to have in your head. <laughs> but to, <laughs> to match that to such iconic visuals like the moon shot in the Batman, yes. the, the classic Tim Burton shot uh, that was then used as the album cover. Uh, like it goes hand in hand. You have the music, you have the visuals and and they they just complement each other so well, but they also go out of their way to find these um, idiosyncratic directors like Tim Burton, uh, like David Fincher, you know, like like people that you really wouldn't uh, put a whole lot of expect. Yeah, you you wouldn't expect it. Um, I I was gonna say you wouldn't put a whole lot of backing uh, from a music video director into a movie, and then Warner Brothers did that when David Fincher and Seven and you know like so many times over. Um, that you get these uh, auteurs getting to make their own thing, like Christopher Nolan and his Batman movies, you know? Like he's coming oh, off yeah. of Insomnia, which is also a Warner Brothers movie. And and then he gets the keys to the kingdom of Batman and, and reboots the whole thing. And it's, it's just wonderful to see these risks, uh, risk over reward, you know? Like they, mm-hmm. they don't know if there's going to be a reward, but they take the risk and then we benefit, you know? Exactly. That's, that's what I, I'm getting from it. Yeah, because then they strike gold, and then it's like we we happen to benefit from them striking gold, and they didn't know they were going to strike gold. But it's like, oh, great, everybody wins. Exactly. And bringing it back to Looney Tunes real quick, uh, Carl Starling and Milt Franklin were both uh, like instrumental, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> in the creation of the scores of the soundtracks of Looney Tunes and the way that they composed and and repurposed the. Uh, the orchestral library that they had at their hands, like through Warner Brothers, I think that is what makes those iconic uh, shorts so endlessly rewatchable. And it's just genius. It's just genius. Uh, That was one of the things that I love talking to George uh, Dotery Dotery about. Um, He's the guy that is currently going around the world with uh, Bugs Bunny at the symphony. And yes. um, just he's he's so full of knowledge about the music. And if you haven't listened to that interview I did with him, I highly recommend it. We talked for an hour oh, <laughs> about the I music did. of Looney Tunes. It, <laughs> it was it was very enjoyable. I love what he what he said about how um, there were two adjacent cartoons that had um, Bugs Bunny and Tom, a Tom and Jerry short conducting. Yeah, and I love how he said that Tom is a terrible conductor, whereas Bugs <laughs> is actually doing it authentically. He's animated authentically or, you know, conducting the orchestra, whereas Tom doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And Baton Bunny, uh, Chuck Jones really took the time to like, um, 
do research into what movements a conductor does uh, on the podium. And then he put that in, he animated that and put that into the Bugs' movements. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, so wonderful and such a rich history to, to have Looney Tunes be a part of. So that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. Exactly. Uh, so happy birthday, Warner Brothers. Uh, here's to a hundred more. <laughs> Indeed. Just to another and centennial. Yes. Yes. Tomorrow. <laughs> from when we're recording this uh, Looney Tunes cartoons comes out with a brand new batch of cart- of shorts and it's going to be on HBO Max there is no trailer so we don't have any footage to look over uh, no. there have been like little snippets here and there of what we could expect but I am very excited because it has been a minute since we have had new Looney Tunes cartoons content and I'm really excited about this next batch um mainly because of the people that I've been talking to are really excited about it. <laughs> so that is just transferred over to me. So I can't wait to see what's people. in here. <laughs> what was that? You've interviewed some of these people. <laughs> yes. At Comic-Con. <laughs> just I mean, this, this podcast, uh, you know, it, it just brings me endless joy uh, when I get to talk to the uh, creatives behind Looney Tunes. And, and anytime, you know, they're on, they're always like, just wait, just wait. There's going to be more. And so I I can't wait for more. I can't wait to see what they have cooked up. And we got a poster and the poster has uh, Robert Griggs did the poster and it's beautiful. It has bugs on a crate and they're suspended in air. And Taz is busting out of the crate to get bugs. Who's on the other side of it. And I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I'll I'll post it and send it to you um, once we're done. But I love the fact that Taz is on this poster because we just got a Taz trailer that I'm going to insert right now. Once upon a time, there is one ravenous beast ready to anything in its path or anyone. The Tasmanian Devil! Tasmanian Devil! He's a monster waiting to eat you alive. This story might be uh, just a little too scary. The Tasmanian Devil hasn't bothered anyone in years. In the village, never been safe. Our food! It's gone! Who could have done this? Oh, that was dingoes! Dingoes? Anything we want, we take. They took your dad, too. They what? I'll get someone who could take on a hundred dingoes. The Tasmanian Devil. They also took my dad. Help me rescue him, and he'll make you all the burgers you can eat. Think of the adventure we'll have. We'll take Tasmania by storm. We'll fight side by side, and we'll take on all comers. Wow. Go, Taz! Are you okay? Not really. I was going to ask if you're hungry, Nothing wrong with needing help. Ow, ow. It's a good way to make friends. Hang on. We're going to find my dad. Yahoo! High five. Ow. Find dad. More boogers. Find dad. More boogers. Find dad. More burgers. 
Find dad Warburger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we just watched the trailer and it is adorable. Uh this is a, a out of nowhere, uh, we're getting a digital release of this movie. I don't know if there will be a physical copy. King Tweety had a similar thing, but we got a digital, uh, we got a, a physical copy first, and then it went on HBO Max and became digital. So let's fingers crossed that we get fingers crossed that it's good, and then fingers yeah, crossed that we get foremost. a copy of it. First and foremost, yes, fingers crossed yes. that it's good. <laughs> So this is directed by Ryan Kramer, one of the Looney Tunes cartoons directors. And I like his sensibilities. I I like the artistry behind this. Uh, this is Taz done in a in a new way. Like he's he's like this um not Aaron boy, but uh he's looked at as a monster and then somebody who gets to befriend one of the little um uh, creatures in this what would you say the little girl is 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 she I like would, a... i suspect she's a bandicoot um she's either a, a bandicoot, bandicoot. Or, or a possum but i strongly suspect bandicoot because it resembles the actual animal and it's set in tasmania which has australian animals like so that's what i suspect the species is if not it's probably a, a possum but money's on bandicoot <laughs> Well, your money is going to pay off because I have the official synopsis right here, and it does say Bandicoot. Hey! After, <laughs> after an outlaw abducts her father and steals her town's food supply, a feisty adolescent Bandicoot named Quinn recruits the Tasmanian devil to help her find the thief. Taz may be an ill-tempered rogue with a fearsome reputation, but he and Quinn will have to work together to track the criminal through the wilds of Tasmania and save her community. Taz's quest for Burger is a comedic and touching family adventure that proves every misfit can be a hero, and even the most unlikely friendships can save the day. That's really sweet. That's a really sweet sentiment. There you go. So I, I love having these random Looney Tunes uh, content come out. And, and it, when they're movies, that's Surprises. even better because then I can do reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this came out of, it's literally spun out of nowhere. No pun intended because of the Taz. But yeah, it just dropped literally today. And I was like, oh, we're getting a Taz movie. Oh, oh okay. They're doing more different content. I was, I was getting some King Tweety vibes because of how King Tweety had a similar drop kind of thing and a very different art style than what we're used to from these characters. And um, it almost kind of reminds me of a Nickelodeon animation style in some way. And it's very different, but I'm just like, but I'm also getting some Tasmania vibes as well because it's set on Tasmania on this island. And so it reminds me of that show too. Oh, I love that show. I wish that show was on HBO Max. I would binge the heck out of it. Uh, I loved watching that as a kid, and that theme song is so catchy. I'm going to put that in right now. Welcome to Atlantis Way, under, down, under. The sky's always yellow in rain or shine. Come to Tasmania, come to Tasmania. Mom's alive, why are dads never born along? Molly's all fired up, will take place with the dog. Come to Tasmania, come to Tasmania. Didgeridingo and Wendell T. Wolf. Francis X. Bush lad is never uncouth. Bushwhacker Bob and his mother, Gold Mom. Conscious and Dick Lee just want to have fun. Bookator and Axel are always left sore. If you have a deal, just call Buddy Ball. The Parable Scrub. Are back and about. The Kiwi, the Bush Rats, have we left anyone out? 
Oh, yeah, don't forget Taz. He put the Taz of Tasmania down at Tasmania. Come to Tasmania. We but this really yeah definitely has king tweety vibes uh kareen engel who directed that really brought her unikitty sensibilities and i think ryan kramer who directed this is bringing in his own sensibilities with the art style and i'm just happy to see you know warners put out more content with these individual looney tunes characters i think it helps with the brand and i think this is going to reach kids and Mm -hmm. get them interested and to see like more taz content so having it come out and paired with a new poster that has Taz on it for Looney Tunes cartoons, I think is wonderful. The synergy. The time and good branding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, this trailer is really cute, really adorable. Um, we're following this little uh, bandicoot girl Bandicoots. as she is looking for her father and it ends with this like chant of like find dad more burgers because Taz wants burgers and she wants to find her dad. So you know, combine the two things. Um, but uh, I I didn't know what it was saying actually. I I thought it was saying find dad more burgers or find dad more boobies. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it sounded a little off uh, to me. <laughs> Um, but, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, what? What? What is he looking for? <laughs> what did he say? What did she say? <laughs> but it, it was, uh, you know, I, I love seeing these uh, random trailers pop up for these movies that we don't know are coming. It doesn't even have an IMDb page. But no. we do know, we do know a little bit about the cast from the, the uh, report that was provided uh so steve blum is voicing taz in this uh not fred tattashore who voices him in this um so it's going to be interesting to see his his different take on it but but you think that that's actually fitting for his voice range right is he yeah because um when i found out steve blum was voicing him i was surprised but at the same time as i've heard the characters that steve has done he has a very deep register so he's kind of down here so which is not too um, far off from Taz because Taz is a very deep, gravelly character. And also Steve is very good at creature noises and he does a lot of monster sounds. So he's actually a very good fit for this monstrous Looney Tunes character. So all the... <laughs> he's very good at that. Nice. Yeah. And I, I love how there there's a moment where she's picking like um, little prickles off of Taz's fur and he's like, ow, <laughs> ow, ow, ow. ow. <laughs> <laughs> That is very Taz. <laughs> that is very Taz. I love this minimal dialogue and just the fact that the, the movie is named Taz Quest for Burgers, I think is, you know, a really funny in-universe, you know, Taz thing. Because one of my favorite Taz lines uh, comes from Hair Devil Hair where he goes, um, why for you bury me in the cold, cold ground? Mm-hmm. And like that line cracks me up every time I hear Mel Blank say it. And the fact that, you know, his non-English verbalization is being translated in this movie in this way, I think is just really respectful and really interesting to see. Yeah. Like they've, cause this is a character that can barely string two words together. So having his own language in his own, you know, gibberish, um, what's the word gibberish verbiage, you know, that's very yes. fitting for him. It's very true to his character. Quick tangent. I, I had this really crazy idea about a decade ago uh, that I was going to 
right into a comic book. I still might work with it one day, but it was very similar to this. Um, It was in the prehistoric age and there was a caveman who did not verbalize his thoughts really well. And this, um, this village goes to him uh, to hire him as a bounty hunter to go up against, uh, you know, different things that are infecting the city. And for this specific, uh, plot it was a big tyrannosaurus and um and they were like please can you save our village and he just grunts and like they don't know if they made a contract with him and then he just (laughs) (laughs) and so he turns up one day and he's like he's riding a warthog and like he like takes down the the t-rex and like brings it to their doorstep at the end and uh this is very similar (laughs) (laughs) except it's about finding a dad yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love these ideas and getting burgers. Who doesn't love burgers? You know, I mean, Taz yeah. loves every meat, so <laughs> it every just makes meat, sense. Every vegetable, every mineral, <laughs> <laughs> every table, yeah, every, <laughs> table <laughs> every rock, every tree. There's not a lot the guy won't eat. He's not. He's not fussy. <laughs> So that that's a good good transition um, into the actual creature that Robert McKimson based Taz on, which is a marsupial, right? It is a uh, Australian animal uh, native to, I guess, all parts of Australia or just southern or northern parts. So in terms of their range, they were previously found on all over mainland Australia, but now they're restricted to Tasmania, which is an island just off the coast of um Taz, of mainland Australia. It's still part of Australia, but they were okay. wiped out because of hunting and because of introduction of the dingo as well, because dingoes aren't actually native to Australia. They're an iconic animal in Australia, but they were introduced and then they kind of wiped the devils out. So Tasmania is mainly where they're found, but they are being reintroduced into parts of mainland Australia, like in New South Wales. There's a reintroduction project there. So they are an endangered, so an endangered species. So that phrase, dingo ate my baby, like that actually comes from dingoes being vicious and eating other animals and possibly human babies? Yeah, there was unfortunately a news article many, many, many years ago where a dingo actually, some people were camping out in the outback and unfortunately a dingo picked off a human baby and ate it. It, was, it made headlines globally. So that's kind of where that came from, unfortunately. It was a horrible experience because... Dingoes, for the most part, leave people alone, but they can be feral and dangerous because they're a wild dog. So, and they're the new kind of apex predator of Australia. Um, the Tasmanian devil is the largest mar- existing marsupial carnivore. It used to be the Tasmanian wolf or the thylacine, but that those were hunted into oblivion. And then the last surviving specimen was in a zoo in 1936. So the whole kind of ecosystem is kind of out of whack. So now the devils are starting to be reintroduced into those parts. But that is unfortunately where that phrase comes from. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Well, do you know what year that was? Oh, gosh. I want to say, I honestly don't know. Like it could be late 2000s or early, um, late 90s or early 2000s. But I have to check. Okay. Well, that's why I come to you. You're the zoologist. You're the animal expert and Looney Tunes fan. So it kind of a mash of... Um, mash of interest here um so you are a fan of animals of all kinds and you study them you you like uh you work with them essentially yes have worked with them i'm kind of currently 
I my I'm an ex zookeeper, so my my basically all of my experience with animals is kind of a mishmash of education, presenting, a bit of zookeeping, but it's mainly sort of in science communication. And I've been a fan of animals since day dot. And I have worked with a different number of species and I've looked at and researched all sorts of things that I haven't seen in the wild or I'm yet to see in the wild. But most, and I also visit zoos and I create content for kind of my social media channels of the things I see in zoos and just about stuff that I find interesting about wildlife. It's so fascinating. And I love all your posts, you're, the way that you break it down. And you're like, I bet you didn't know this. Uh, so yes. those are always really fun. So Looney Tunes and animals, there are some iconic pairings here. You have the coyote and the roadrunner. So do we want to do we want to talk about those next? Yeah, sure. Okay. So what is it about the coyote that Chuck Jones read about? Because he never saw one uh, when I, before he created the Wiley Coyote character. He read about it, and he just yes. took this hunger, this you know, like this food deprived creature, skinny, <laughs> very you yes. know vibrant very you know st structurally unsound flattering language about the coyote <laughs> <laughs> because the book that Chuck right. Jones read was by Mark Twain who was called Roughing It and Mark Twain this man had a vendetta against this animal because one of the quotes <laughs> he had he said he said he calls it a living breathing allegory of want like all yes. he could see in this animal. And that's very reflected in the character because he, Wiley Coyote is driven by want and by hunger. And he just has to catch this bird. And even in his, his character design, he kind of looks like, if you look at a real coyote and you look at Wiley, that's a coyote that's kind of been stretched like silly putty because his ears are, you know, ridiculously long. He's got this exaggerated snout, long bony arms, um, this scraggy looking tail. Um, in fact, Chuck Jones said that in terms of his character design, it was loosely based on Bugs Bunny's design to kind of give a polar opposite because Bugs is a very victorious, cuddly character and the coyote is a very wretched, poor, um, <laughs> feel sorry for character. Kind of, he's, he's like a dissolute Bugs in, his, in terms of his design. But in I terms of the that. actual animal, sorry, what are you going to say? <laughs> no, I, I can see that, definitely. And uh, I, I love that a lot of people don't know this, but like Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner were introduced together. And mm -hmm. then the next year, Bugs and Wiley Coyote went up against each other. It wasn't like we had Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner for like years. It was Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner won Bugs and yeah, Wiley yeah. Coyote like following that and then back to, you know, formula. Um, yes. But yeah. Because when Chuck Jones did that first short, The Fast and the Furious, with the two, um, the reason the, the coyote has a voice and speaks to Bugs Bunny is because apparently at the time, um, he, he had it, he ran into a dispute with either Leon Schlesinger or Ed Seltzer at the studio, who said mm -hmm. that these characters need to talk. We're paying Mel Blanc. Like, they were really disputing the fact that these characters didn't speak, but Jones was insistent that the cartoons wouldn't work if there were dialogue. So that's why we have the coyote in a speaking role with Bugs Bunny. And he has a very erudite accent and he's driven by his ego. And then it's not until another year later where we finally have the two again in another short beep beep kind of thing. So that's kind of how that timeline went. And also just a bit of a um, 
a childhood destroying fact. You might be aware of this. So an actual Roadrunner, its top speed is around 26 miles an hour. And a coyote <laughs> can do double that. <laughs> they, oh, can run wow. at 40, they can run at 40 miles an hour. So, um, yeah, childhood ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the whole dynamic has been debunked on here. Wow, I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> but but interestingly enough, like if you were to look at the animals in the wild and that, that inspired these characters, um, even though a coyote can easily outrun a roadrunner and can probably catch it, make light work of it, they don't feature very often in their diet because coyotes tend to go after small mammals, small to medium-sized mammals, like prairie dogs, rabbits, Rats, small rodents, lizards, roadrunners, not so much. Um, in fact, when they've done studies on their droppings and they've looked at coyote droppings and they've seen remains of roadrunners, it's more likely the roadrunner was scavenged from roadkill because coyotes are not, they're not fussy eaters. They will eat roadkill. So if there's a dead roadrunner lying around, that's going down the hatch. So it's more <laughs> likely there was that. And also the roadrunner's ability to fly also would make it a tough thing to catch because roadrunners can fly not very well, but they do prefer to kind of run on the road kind of thing. Mm. Interesting. So how good are coyotes at painting? (laughs) (laughs) Are you thinking of a certain Chuck Jones painting or just painting tunnels on the wall kind of thing? (laughs) Painting tunnels on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) If that happened, I'd be like, oh, Okay, no late night takeaway for me anymore. If I actually saw that in the wild, I'd be like, no, I ate something funny. <laughs> I ate something funny last night. And um, you know, I, I I just love how it they took a creative approach to putting these two animals together, and what they came out with was such an iconic pairing, an iconic duo. And those two characters are really inseparable in people's mm-hmm. minds, even though Bugs came up right after Roadrunner for an adversary for Coyote. And it's just, you know, it goes to show, like, you don't need dialogue to have a really great cartoon. You just need really awesome, practical pranks uh, or impractical <laughs> pranks uh, on each other. And uh, and just the, the execution of that, the going back to Treg Brown, he was, you know, the unsung hero of those shorts, uh, as well as the animators and just like the whole, the whole shebang of watching a Wiley Coyote Roadrunner short is unmatched and unparalleled to, you know, watching, I think anything from another studio where there's no sound, you know, I I would take a Wiley Coyote Roadrunner short over any other silent cartoon um, where there's no dialogue from any there's other no like, like Tom and Jerry or Pink Panther. Um, interestingly enough, the way when Chuck created these characters, he created them as a parody of the chase trope that was popular at the time because yeah. all these other studios had characters chasing each other. Tom was chasing Jerry. At Disney, Pluto was chasing Chip and Dale. Uh, Donald Duck was chasing Chip and Dale. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to make a cartoon with these two obscure animals native to the Southwest Desert I'm going to parody this chase trope that everyone's, you know, jumped on the bandwagon. But ironically, it became one of the best known examples of this trope. So much so that when you mention the word roadrunner, people immediately think, beep, beep. That's what comes to their mind. When you say coyote, they think, oh, that poor luckless loser. And it became 
they were they were a huge hit. They, these are in, this is a cartoon that is truly international. They could be shown all over the world. No dialogue. Right. It travels well. Very much so. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we've had a, a slew of Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner shorts. We have, uh, just a quick tangent. We have a new collection, uh, that is on the verge of coming to Blu-ray and we just got word that it's going to have some brand new, well, recently restored, uh, for the consumer Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner shorts that we haven't seen in decades on there. So I'm really excited about that as well. Um, so moving on down the list, uh, another one that is a Chuck Jones classic is Pepe Le Pew, and he is widely known as a skunk. (laughs) So (laughs) what, uh, what can we learn about the actual animal as opposed to the, um, the little handsy romantic. Handsy <laughs> <laughs> romantic. Well, you know how in the Pepe cartoons, people would run screaming every time they saw him? Le Pew! Le Pew skunk! Yeah. yeah. Yes. They, they smell that bad. You know, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I have been fortunate enough to not smell it, but I know people who have been on the receiving end of the skunk musk, and they don't smell bad all the time. They spray that horrible odor, know. that smell, as a defensive tactic. But my goodness, right. like it's a combination of it's it's sulfur, and um, there's these chemical compounds called thiols. And I've heard that from people that it smells like a combination of sulfur, burnt rubber, and a rotten eggs. Like it's Ugh. disgusting. Like so even just it coming. Is, <laughs> it's not. Is it coming from their stomach, or is it coming from like an individual like uh, part of them that is separate from uh, like acid or anything that's like breaking down food for them? So basically, you know, in the Pepe cartoons where Pepe, you see Pepe's tail and there's a horrible scent wafting from the tail. So it doesn't come from the Mm -hmm. tail. It actually comes from inside there. And I'm going to say this word. It's inside their anus, basically. They have two little (laughs) glands. It's, um, they they have these two perianal glands inside that they can actually squirt this oil-based fluid at the, in the face of an attacker. Now it's oily, it's thick, it's viscous, it smells horrible. And um, basically that's how they use it. When a skunk curves its body into like a U-shape and it points its butt at an attacker, that's a skunk that's about to spray and let him have it. So that's how the smell comes out. And they've got about enough ammo for six or seven shots, six to actually six to 10 shots usually. And they can run out of ammo and it takes them a week to replenish it. So it's a fluid that they have um, inside their anal sacs. And all, lots of carnivorous mammals have this, but none quite as potent as the skunk. It's that it's sophisticated enough in the skunk that it can be used as an offensive weapon. So when when pe- when people saw those black and white stripes and they saw Pepe coming, yeah, they were right to run. <laughs> and and do the skunks have the same fashion sense? Do they look good in berets? <laughs> well, in- interestingly <laughs> enough, I think skunks are actually one of my favorite animals because they're so decorative. Because you see the black and white stripes. It's a very bold coloration. And you don't want to get on the wrong end of them. But just looking at them, they're, it's, very, it's a very stylish color. It's very bold. It's very vibrant. And even Pepe's design, he's a very appealing character in terms of how he's designed. He's got the little the quiff of hair at the top and those bold markings. He's got this huge plume-shaped tail. And yeah. 
that is also, and of course, those half-leaded romantic guys were there. And so there's that that makes him kind of, in, from his character design, an appealing character. And um, funny enough, in terms of Pepe's amorous habits, the breeding season of skunks is usually from around February to March, which includes Valentine's Day, interestingly enough. So if you're based in the United States and you're out and you smell that horrible sulfur place smell, it's usually because there's some skunks getting it on, basically, because that's usually when their mating season starts. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, it ends around about April, but usually that's when they start. And also, um, when a male skunk is courting a female skunk, if she's not feeling it, she'll spray him, too, because they do spray each other, and they don't like getting sprayed, so... The the guy the male skunk has to be careful. <laughs> oh wow, that's uh that's a very interesting ritual <laughs> between animals. I would not want to be on the receiving end of that ritual. <laughs> no, it reminds me of the praying mantis ritual. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just oh. also disturbing. <laughs> yeah. If you're a male praying mantis, that's not a that's not a nice life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short life. <laughs> it's a very short, yeah. You're here for a, a good time, but not a short time. So, you know, once you've made it with a female, you better run. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to live very long. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the last animal that uh, we wanted to touch upon was Pete Puma as the Puma cat. Uh, he is a native to, I guess, the the forest and the woods. Uh, yeah. What, what, what part of the world is actually uh, a Puma cat uh, from? So they're in your neck of the woods in the United States and um, okay. both Northern and South America. They're actually a very widespread cat. And even though they're called a mountain lion, they're not technically a lion because they're actually, they can't roar. They're actually more closely related to smaller cats kind of thing. So they're the, if I can put it this way, they're a, just a large, small cat. And they're found okay. in all sorts of habitats, not just the Rocky Mountains. In forests, you'll find them in swamps. There's one subspecies in Florida called the Florida panther, which is not a panther. It's just a, a puma that got misnamed. And um, this is also known as the cat of a thousand names because they have Ooh. more names than any other, I want to say mammal, terrestrial mammal, because they're called um, the three widely accepted names they're called are puma mountain lion and cougar but they can be called all sorts of things like catamount mountain screamer american lion deer tiger oh gosh red jaguar silver lion and those are just the names in english and there's over 40 wow they have loads of names so yeah but in terms of bugs bunnies tussles with pete they typically take place in the forest in the woods where you can also find pumas um but they are so elusive because you can spend your whole life living in somewhere like Colorado or Texas in Puma country and not even see them. But that being said, like you're based in LA, right? Yes. But I'm from Texas yes. originally. Okay. Interesting. I never because... saw these. <laughs> because there's a Puma <laughs> in, um, there was, or there was a Puma. He was called P22 that lived in the Hollywood Hills. Like he was actually born in South Santa Monica, but he, okay made the trip down from Santa Monica, crossed two freeways, and ended up in the Hollywood Hills living amongst the people. And he actually got quite a name for himself. He made the news. He was living in, um, there was a small park that he was living in, hunting deer, that sort of things. And it was just crazy. And it was just, this is another animal that's been chosen 
by the animators at Warner Brothers to be an adversary for Bugs Bunny. And Peter's not nearly as stealthy as an actual puma. He's just a big dopey cat, that sort of thing. <laughs> very, very uh, lacking in intelligence uh, for one of yes. Bugs's known traits for their advers- for his adversaries. Um <laughs> Interesting. I, I I didn't know that either. <laughs> this is why this is why this is fascinating to me. Um. So while he was there, did he you know ask for tea and how many lumps did he want in his tea? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably he probably wanted some deer meat basically because yeah. as he was trotting around, he had a radio collar as well because they were kind of people. Um, biologists were tracking his movements just to see how he roamed and where he was going. So he did make headlines. And um, on f- they, in fact, on one point, he actually ate some rat poison and got poisoned. So they had to bring vets out to treat him before he could um, be set out again. Um, sadly, he's not alive anymore. He kind of died of natural causes. But he made headlines whilst he was there because it's you have this big, sprawling urban environment. But it used to be wildlife. So there are some species of wildlife, including the animals we're talking about today that have successfully managed to live amongst people. You know, the coyote is another one. Skunks are another one. They've survived urbanization and they live amongst us in our neighborhoods and in our cities. We just don't see them very often because they're nocturnal or they've learned to exploit our habits. Um, The puma and the puma is weird because they don't typically do well around cities. Um, Coyotes are a lot more successful um, and also a lot of the cougar's prey isn't typically found around cities. They, t- they typically tend to be found at the edge of cities. So for P-22 to have lived as long as he did, he did pretty well. I would say. We actually had a coyote walking down our street, the one that we live on here in Burbank, uh, at nighttime. And so yeah, we that's are not abnormal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's signs everywhere of, uh, you know, keep your dogs on the leash and make sure that, you know, you're aware that coyotes are lurking around and uh, have been spotted in the neighborhood. So, yeah, it's very common in Southern California. But I, you know, if I see a puma or a cougar or anything like that, I'm running the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, don't run. The best thing you can do to survive a cougar attack, stand your ground, make yourself as big as possible and make loud noises because oh. they don't like it if they're prey. They're not used to prey that fights back. So as, if you make yourself as large as possible and you scream really loudly, you're like, ah, get out of here. That is going to save your life. That's that's one way to survive a cougar attack. Because if you run, they're a predatory animal and they are triggered by prey that runs. They're built to chase. So if you run, that's going to trigger their chase response, which is the last thing you want. So standing your ground is going to help you survive a puma attack. Um, or you could just hit it with so a mallet he... like Bugs does, but I would not like that. Or <laughs> carry around a big mallet with me. But I'm so glad you, you told me that because, you know, maybe I mean, hopefully someone listening to this actually takes that into heat and, like, yeah. you know, it saves their life one day. Uh, or, or mine. <laughs> or no, yours, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> so thank you. Um, You're welcome. This has been wonderful. And obviously there's, you know, hundreds of animals that have been translated into cartoons over the decades that we've had the medium so many. Uh, but we're only going to touch on these few this time maybe i'll have you on again to continue this conversation but for right sure, now we're going to put a pin in it oh thank you we'll put a pin in it uh for now uh, issy where can people find you online 
So I can be found everywhere. Um, at Issy the Scribe is my handle, um, at I-S-I-T-H-E-S-C-R-I-B-E on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Those are the main places I can be found. Awesome. Uh, and you can follow the podcast over at OFC This Means Pod on Twitter or This Means Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. I also have a TikTok where I'll be posting all about Coyote versus Acme once we get more information about that. And stay tuned because we have more wonderful Looney Tune goodness coming our way. And you're going to want to know what's happening, when it's dropping. And so the only place that you can find that is right here at This Means Podcast. So, as always, that's not all, folks. I'll get you, my pretty, and your widow dog, too. <laughs>